indeed he has work to do this morning. <laughs> How we need him to work. It's a, uh, it's a wild time that we are living in and living through. And uh, it feels like every conversation I have with somebody, something comes up about these crazy times that we are living in. And we're all staring down the barrel of an absolutely insane election. <laughs> so yeah, it's a crazy time. That's just one item. Thank God that we have a place like Proverbs to go to to find wisdom and a rock in the unpredictable nature of our world. Here we find wisdom and the source of that wisdom, the rock, Christ. Today in Proverbs, We've been in this book, what is this, the ninth week now? And today we come to one of the most glorious pinnacles in the book of Proverbs, as far as I'm concerned. And in all of my studies of this series, it seems like my mind just keeps returning to this passage. I feel like I've just absolutely been pierced by it. And, and failing so much to live up to it, and, and how I want to. Um, so I'm, I love this passage particularly. In a few simple words, we will read this most amazing and profound truth, this, this challenge, which is so simple to say and so hard to do. So simple to say, so hard to do, impossible for sinners like me, like us, to master. And yet the mastery of these words would be the fullness of wisdom, the deepest maturity, and the most abundant life. I mean, it's what we are all striving for if we are striving together in the faith. Now, as, as, as impossible a mountain it might seem like it is to climb, I still want to encourage you today to trust God and to know God in all of your ways and in all that you do and in all that you think, to trust God and to know God. Well, let's read this pinnacle in Proverbs. I'm in Proverbs chapter 3, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let's pray. These are high words. These words are so far beyond what my flesh is capable of, what me and my sin can achieve. And yet you call us into it and you make it available and you work within us to bring these things true in us. And it's unfathomable that you would, but you do. And how much grace you show us, how powerful it is 
So much so that it is recreating us and making us new, making us, conforming us to the image of your Son. Oh, I can't imagine what that really looks like. But this passage gives us a flavor. And so I pray that we would all be pierced by these words. And they would not simply be rote things, but they would be our goal, our pursuit, our pleasure. I pray you do it this morning and every day. In Christ's name, amen. So again, we find ourselves listening to the Father's instruction as Father instructs Son, and he's imploring his Son, who is inexperienced and naive and young, imploring about the incredible importance of his teaching and to live in those teachings, not forsaking those teachings. And as we hear the Father imploring his Son in this way, instructing his Son in this way, we should hear the voice of our Heavenly Father who is speaking to us, speaking to us through this Father and this Son. Our Father speaks to us, and we should all be listening. And the Father is not asking his Son to just remember words and store them up in your mind, keep them in your intellect. The Father is exhorting his Son to nurture the words, to develop them and be diligent about doing them, to live in obedience to them, persist in following them, make these words your words, bind them to your heart as we see. You know, if, the, if these commands and these words of the Father, if all they are is intellectual assent for the Son, then that would prove that the Son has not heard the Father, that the Father's words have truly been forgotten if they're just locked in the mind. So you could, like I've said before about Proverbs, you can memorize these words. You can, and so many people have memorized at least a section of this passage. But if all it is is a memory and something you can rattle off, you do not have wisdom. This needs to penetrate the heart and be lived out through the hands. Head to heart to hands. And that is what the end of verse 1 is saying. End of verse 2 is saying. Um, no, I'm looking at chapter 2. Keep, keep in your heart these commandments. And if in the heart these commandments are kept, then there's a promise. And that's verse 2. For the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So these commandments will add to you length of days and peace. So we saw uh, in the beginning of the book of Proverbs, I, I defined wisdom as life skill, the ability to navigate life well. Wisdom is the ability to navigate life well. So in a very sensible way, wisdom keeps you away from doing foolish things. It, it pushes you away from folly. So it would be foolishness to stick your hand in a blender. And it would be foolishness to drink your liver into oblivion. And it would be foolishness to live in rebellion to God. And wisdom steers you away from such foolish pursuits, thereby giving you a long life. There's no longer life than eternal life which is the reward for traveling on this path of wisdom, for following wisdom and striving after it. And when we have this promise of long life, which we know of as eternal life, then all fear is erased. 
What greater peace is there than to not fear death, to have no fear in death nor after death? Death is removed and peace is given. But again, we must remember that Proverbs are not equations. And so simply by keeping the Father's commandments does not guarantee that you will have a long life now in this earth. It's not an equation where you put in obedience, you get out a long life. Because disaster can strike, COVID can get you, and God can cut your days short. And none of that might be related to your wisdom or lack thereof. God always has the right to exercise his sovereignty over us. He knows what's best for our lives, and he will do what he will do, and we are totally subject to his will. And so these are not equations, but principles to live by. When he exercises his sovereignty, we trust in him. And while we're trusting in him, we're taking the Father's commandments and putting them in our heart, knowing that the days we have will be filled with peace because we're trusting in him and that our days will not end with this life but will go on into eternity. That is wisdom. That is peace. Look at verse 3 now. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So twice now we've seen that the path of wisdom allows you to walk in righteousness, justice, and equity. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, we saw that. Righteousness, justice, and equity. And here we see that the path of wisdom is paved also in steadfast love and faithfulness. Interesting that, interesting that we have righteousness, justice, and equity, and steadfast love and faithfulness. I wonder how they come together. It's a sermon for another time. Fools, we know live for selfish gain. They live for themselves. Wicked men love infidelity, how we saw that last week. But a righteous and wise traveler strives to live in steadfast love and faithfulness, walking in steadfast love and faithfulness. So you see that the father's instructing his son this, but nowhere have we yet seen from the father steadfast love and faithfulness spoken of or taught. So the son sees his father and sees his father living in steadfast love and faithfulness, sees the example of his father, and now he knows that he must walk in that same way, this way of wisdom. It can't be forced. It can't be coerced. It needs to be written on the tablet of the heart, penetrating to the very core of the son, of us. So, in other words, the son needs to be equipped with a heart that loves and is loyal. Where does a son find a heart like this? It's not his natural heart. As we saw in chapter 2, this heart of steadfast love and faithfulness is a gift from God. It comes from God. He is the source of love and loyalty. And so to gain wisdom abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, one must seek the source of love and loyalty. And so God himself defined himself by steadfast love and faithfulness. 
when he spoke his name to Moses on Mount Sinai. God, what I'm about to read, this is God speaking his name, his covenant name to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will no, by no means clear the guilty. So we look to the Father who defines himself by steadfast love and faithfulness, whose steadfast love and faithfulness is sent to us and shown to us by his one and only Son, which was sent to the cross, which he, the Father, was pleased to crush on the cross, to bear our iniquity, to pay the punishment for our sins, an offering for our guilt. That is love unparalleled. Love without measure, love that has no bounds. This is our God who loves so fully and completely that he would sacrifice his own son for our forgiveness. Not because God was so consumed with our forgiveness, but because when we are forgiven and when we are washed clean and when we are purified, he gives us the church as a gift to his son. a gift of love. All of this is because God the Father loves God the Son, and we are benefactors of their love. To us streams grace and forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, which now lives within us. Unbelievable. We who were rebellious, So all who believe this, if your heart beats with these truths, then that means that God has taken love, steadfast love and faithfulness, and he has written it onto your heart. He has etched it into your heart. The word that's being used here for write it onto your heart, etch it in, etch it onto the tablet of your heart, it is permanent language. Like it is there forever. You cannot erase it. You'd have to destroy the heart to take it off, but you can't destroy this heart. It's the heart of God. So God's faithfulness and his love written on your hearts, now this will never leave you nor forsake you, for God will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we're going to stumble on this path of wisdom, and we will wander, and we might lay down and fall asleep, and all of these other things, but there is God, always God, always with you always pouring out his love. He is yours and you are his and he is yours forever, with you forever. So if that's true for you, if you've got this new heart etched on it, steadfast love and faithfulness, you do have a responsibility. You must choose to live every moment in steadfast love and faithfulness. The word you used, Josiah, was right. We need to yield to it. It's there now, and we must yield to it. It's received deep within, and it's expressed with our lips and with our hands and with our feet, with our minds, with our life. 
steadfast love and faithfulness. So we're going to be told a way to do this, a way in which we live in steadfast love and faithfulness and, and hold the words of the commands of the Father, a way in and a way without, a way to know peace and a way to know affirmation. And here, let's go to verse 4. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So if you live in steadfast love and faithfulness, that means that you're living out the two greatest commandments. Love God, love others. When a person exudes that kind of love and loyalty, are they not attractive? Is that not somebody you want to be around? That's beautiful. People will extend favor towards you. They're going to put you in positions of success by loving and being loyal. And of course, when God sees this in us, when he sees the heart of his son beating within us, he's pleased. He loves that. You will find favor with God and men if you live in steadfast love and faithfulness. Again, though, not an equation. Because people might resent your success. They might not understand your love. And the Bible tells us that the darkness hates the light. These are things of the light. And this exposes the works of the darkness. And so the darkness, those... Your love might expose their hate. Your peace might expose their fear. And they'll hate it. So it's not an equation. But it certainly is a principle to live by. Live in steadfast love and faithfulness and no favor of God and man. So that's wisdom. Wisdom saturated with love and loyalty. And it's brilliant. It's a brilliant light shining in the darkness. And, and this uh, New Testament example, which I've read a few times, is such a good illustration of how this works, where Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. People will so see your steadfast love and faithfulness that they will give glory to God who is in heaven. It's a wonderful principle to live by. A wonderful, really, reality that God has put within us. He gave you that heart. He loves you, and he gave himself for you, and your heart now beats with these things. It is in you because the Spirit of God resides in you. It is there. You are a new creation in Christ. These things are true. You might not feel like it. They are. They are. Now it is your Christian work to let that light out. This is your Christian responsibility to let the light out, not the light of the true you. The world wants to tell you that the light is in yourself. And you need to discover yourself. That is a lie. It's evil. Because you, by nature, are evil. We want to let the light of Christ out of us. This new heart that he has given to us. Look not to yourself. You won't find light there. So more. Let's think more about how to do this. <laughs> Wisdom comes from God. And so does love and loyalty, written on our new hearts. And he is the God of light. So if all comes from him, if the light comes from him, if love and loyalty comes from him, if we're 
to navigate this life with wisdom. How? Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Who's memorized this verse? A lot of people. I imagine somebody here has it hanging on a wall somewhere. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding. That's faith. That's faith. And it is your calling, it is your responsibility to live in faith. Every moment by faith. Every moment trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. This is your responsibility, Christian. But here we also see the first admission in the, in the book of Proverbs that there is this other kind of wisdom that exists outside of the fear of the Lord. Your own understanding, as it's called. You're told not to rely on this. That's sort of what I was just saying. Don't rely on your own understanding. Your own understanding is limited by a few short years of experience. Ken has just a few short years of experience. And so do I. And so does Justin. We have a few short years of experience. And we can't rely on that for everything. I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. Well, I didn't have breakfast this morning. But that's the kind of mind I have. And I think a lot of us have. How can we rely on these things, especially when we know that we are riddled with sin? You can't rely on your own understanding. All understanding comes from God, all wisdom from him, and it's his to share. And so we never think ourselves wise, and we're going to get there a little more deeply in a bit. But we recognize any wisdom we have is just a thimbleful compared to the ocean that is God. Isaiah 10, 15, I love this passage. Shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? Or the saw signify itself, signify itself against him who wields it? As if a rod should wield him who lifts it. Or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. <laughs> How foolish it would be for us to think that we can wield the wisdom of God. Constantly, we must deny our self-reliance. And that's what this is teaching us. You must deny your self-reliance. I am so self-reliant. Constantly. And so it feels like an impossible battle. I want to fight. And I need to say to myself, brain, you are inadequate. Mind, you are hopelessly wandering. Heart, you are desperately sick. And these things we cannot trust. We must trust in the Lord. Which means that we trust God to guide us along this path of life. The, the best path, we're trusting him to guide us. For he sees it from beginning to end, and he knows where every step will take us. He got every step. And we saw in chapter 2 how he is watching over us, caring for us, guarding us, protecting us. Every step. 
No matter how joyful or how, however painful, he is working all things together for our good who love him. So when our expectations fail and when our dreams die and when our hopes are shattered and when our pain is overwhelming and we feel like there isn't anything left, oh, there is. There's an ocean. And so we trust him. We trust God. He is making all things new and these ashes will be recreated. In the most unimaginable and pleasing way, every wrong will be righted, every pain will be turned into joy. Yes, yes, we give him our heart because we can trust him with it, with all of our hearts. We trust in the Lord. And this is faith. And this is real hope. And this is a peace that the world cannot take from us. We will not be shaken on this path of life with such a God. And <laughs> we're going to be an anomaly in this world. We are anomalies in this world. Lights. How brilliant the light. That a whole world of darkness cannot quench it. Just a little light is amazing. Let's keep going into trying to understand our responsibility in verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Already in the book of Proverbs, you've seen that knowledge of God is about knowing God in a personal way. This isn't intellectual knowledge. Like you can theologize all day long. This is knowledge of God like a friend, like a father. And you see the Bible is littered with those descriptions of God. He's a, he's a good master. He is a faithful friend. He is a loving father. All of these are relational terms. Knowing God is knowing him personally. So when we read, acknowledge God in all of your ways, it's saying, know God in everything that you do. Know God in everything that you do. When you wake up in the morning, know that our creative God has made this day unique among all the others. When you face another day of mundane work or chores, know that God loves the mundane. He delights in it. And for the millionth time, he raises the sun again. He's like a little child, in a way, who never gets bored of doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. God loves it. When you feel like an idiot because you did that stupid thing again, then we remember that Christ died for every sin and he forgives 70 times, 7 times, countless times, immeasurable times he forgives. We know these things about God. Know God in all of your ways. I think this really, for me, means three things, three big things. This is at least three things that knowing God in all that you do means. One, we think about who God is. We think about his character. We think about his majesty. We think about his steadfast love and faithfulness. We think about his incredible grace pours out. He lavishes upon us who are sinners. And we remember the person of God. 
and we remember how he relates to us, and we remember how he relates to the world. We think about God. The second way, or the second thing that knowing God in all of your ways means is striving to understand God's will for your life and for this world and the things you encounter and the, the things that you experience. What does God think about the time that you spend on the internet? What does God think about how you operate in the workplace? How does he feel about your time with your children? How would he be honored in the conversation you are having? On and on it goes. You can think of a billion circumstances. What does God think in those moments? What is his will in those moments? I am immediately thinking of Romans chapter 12. Be conformed. I want to read it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The renewing of your mind allows you to discern what the will of God is for all circumstances. So that's number two, trying to discern what the will of God is in all of your life. The third thing that I think knowing God in all that you do means is knowing that his promises will never fail you. His promises will never fail. And so that means that your greatest pleasures are tempered by better pleasures to come. And that means that the, the pleasures of this world cannot become your gods because there are greater pleasures coming. It also means that the greatest pains of the world do not overcome you because God will comfort you in the joy of his promises. Greater things are coming, and they are yours. So we remember his promises. And by doing so, we are knowing God. We acknowledge God in all of our ways, and it fixes our eyes on Christ. You know, how did they navigate in the ocean before days of GPS? Out in the middle of the night, they saw the stars, right? They fixed their eye on that star, the bearing, the north star perhaps, and they didn't take their eyes off of it. And if they did, their trip to India would go to Cuba, right? I'm not saying that's what Columbus did, <laughs> by the way. We fix our eyes on Christ by doing these three things. And the highs and the lows, the rough patches and the smooth our feet will not wander from it. We will not deviate from the path of wisdom, for this is wisdom. This is how to live in wisdom. By thinking about who he is, by striving to understand his character, and by knowing that his promises will never fail us. If these things are on our mind, how will we not live out of our new hearts? There's a New Testament passage that gives such a, a good practical way to think about what we're reading in Proverbs. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, 
pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. That's a really great way to acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways. So if we were doing this, if we were living in such a way where we acknowledge God in all of our ways, then would we not be doing exactly what he created us for? Indeed, that's the new creation come alive and seen, and how brilliantly the light of Christ would shine in us and through us and the world around us. It is the most abundant life possible, saturated in steadfast love and faithfulness, and it is the path of life. (laughs) And it's so simple to say, so hard to do, rather impossible to do in this world. Impossible to do it perfectly for us to acknowledge God in all of our ways. Not until God rids us of these sinful bodies for what is sin but selfishness and pride where we, immediate, where we take our eyes off of God and we put them on ourselves. How can the ship navigate if it's just looking at the ship? <laughs> it's madness. Not until the resurrection will will we be acknowledging God in all of our ways. And he's going to give us a whole new set of eyes that are capable of doing this. But in this life, and with every moment that we have, with every breath, and in all of our ways, we fight, we fight to keep him on our minds and our eyes fixed on him. And we pray and we ask God to help us see him. Help us to see him more clearly more often. You know what God loves to do? Give more of himself. If we pray this without ceasing, he will. He will give himself more and more of himself for us and hopefully our eyes stay fixed on him more and more as well. But there's a danger. In verse 7, we find it. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord And turn away from evil. So here again, we are reminded to not think ourselves wise. Don't fix your eyes on yourself. It's good to be wise. It's good to strive for greater measures of wisdom. It is bad to think that you are wise. Because believing you are wise is arrogance. And eyes are found on yourself. You think you would have nothing to learn from anybody if you think you are wise. Not even from God. Isn't that the Pharisee who angered Jesus more than all others? Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than there is for him. A fool does not realize they are a fool. I've said this many times. But perhaps if they realized they were a fool, they would want to change that about themselves. But someone who considers they are wise, they are actively hardening themselves against any further wisdom, anything that would con the sense of self-righteousness and self-justification that they have because it threatens those things. And how smug they feel in their wisdom and what wickedness they are blind to. Not one person in this room who thinks they are wise in their own eyes thinks I'm talking about them. Because you might not think yourself wise in a general sense. But be on guard. 
where this kind of self-righteousness slips in so subtly and quietly and pervasively because you might think yourself wise compared to somebody else. Maybe it's their politics. Maybe it's their response to COVID. Maybe it's how they celebrate Halloween. Maybe it's where they go to church or don't. Have you, have you figured it out? Do you have the answers? Is there any room for question? Is there any room to learn more? Do you look down on others for their understanding? 2 Corinthians 10.12 But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another... They are without understanding. They are without wisdom. Rather, the wise know that there's something, always something to learn. The wise learn even from fools. And yes, there are legitimate fools. And yes, there are ways that are foolish. But wise people learn from those things. And the wise will not boast in their own wisdom, but in God's wisdom, who has given every shred of wisdom that they possess. Indeed, a wise person will acknowledge God in all of their ways. Jeremiah 9, thus says the Lord, this is God speaking, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boast boast in this, that he understands and knows me, and that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And we should all melt before those words. I do. Verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Sin makes us sick. COVID's got nothing on this sickness. Not even close. Because it's terminal. Our minds, our understanding It's all riddled with this disease of fallenness. How desperately we need healing. And so we trust in the Lord who heals the flesh and the bones, the body and the soul. We stop trusting in ourselves and we trust in the Lord. That means that he is leading us on the way that leads to life and he will heal us, every one of us, every one of us. He will heal. But maybe not on this life, maybe not on this earth. There's a day coming though. But now he can heal our souls today. If you want length of days that transcend death, if you want a peace that surpasses all understanding, if you want to know and live in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
You want to find favor in the eyes of God and in the eyes of man? Fix your eyes on Christ. You have no other choice. There's no other hope. And oh God, don't we know it is not in politics. It is not in ourselves. And so we go to the cross and we crucify our self-reliance so that it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. In other words, I acknowledge God in all of my ways. I trust in him with all of my heart and not in all of this other stuff that's going to hell. All these broken things, all these broken things he is making new. And we trust in it and we hope in it. Every moment that he gives to us, every precious moment, let us think about who he is, his holiness and his grace and his love and his loyalty, his sacrifice, his heart. Let's strive to understand his will for us. What's his heart for our lives and for this world around us? And then let's grab on to his promises so tightly and never let go. They will never fail us. If we not acknowledge God in all of our, of our ways like this, the darkness of this world has no chance. I think if we were all, and this myself included, were living in this way, there would not be an empty seat in this building. And we'd be slopping water out of this tank every week. Let us acknowledge God in all of our ways. Trust in him with our whole heart. And we know that on that final day, we will receive a healing that will be eternal in our new life, in our new creation. Trust God and know God. This is faith. This is our Christian responsibility. Let's pray. It should be easy. It feels like it should be easy, God, to come to you and trust you. For you are God. You have created all things. You've made it so clear. We can read it in black and white. But it isn't because we're sinners and we're selfish. I am. And so, God, we must trust you to help us trust you. Help us, Father, each one of us in this room, to think of you and your ways, to understand your will, and to cling on to your promises. 
Help each one of us do these things. They are not in our natural abilities. We need supernatural abilities. We need your spirit to make them come alive in us and through us. And I ask that you would, that you would do it in me, in all of us, that this church would be the kind of church that trusts in you, our whole heart, and acknowledges you in all of our ways. We want to know you and trust you. God, thank you for these words and that you use them to make our hearts come alive in this way. It's in praise that we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.